Good morning. As we come together, uh, we always like to focus on the Word of God, and we like to hear it being spoken. And so I'm going to read a passage from Philippians chapter 2. It says, Have in mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. It's a Palm Sunday. And it's a Sunday where uh, we hear the story um, in church about Jesus' triumphal-ish entry into Jerusalem. And here's, here's what's going on in this story. Jesus is set up on the east side of Jerusalem. And from the east, he sends his disciples out ahead of him to get a donkey so that he can ride into Jerusalem riding this donkey. And so they come, and in a bit of confusion and puzzlement, they get this donkey for him. And, and he begins to process into the city of Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, the Passover festival. And the disciples of Jesus didn't know this at the time. They didn't fully appreciate it or understand it. But everything that was happening from him entering in Jerusalem from the east to riding in the donkey into the city on the donkey was all a fulfillment, a pointing to the fact that he was the Messiah. He was the one that was promised to come and that was currently present among them. And it was confusing because it's not what they were expecting or wanting. They're wanting a warrior on a war horse triumphantly entering into the city to take what was rightfully theirs, to set things in order and make things right using power and authority and might. Those who had been listening to Jesus and his teachings maybe were starting to get excited. If this was the Messiah, the chosen one, then things were about to change. If they had any doubts in their mind that he was the Messiah, then him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey affirmed for them that there's no way he was the Messiah because he wasn't coming to do what they thought he should be. Uh, compare this to what was happening on, probably on the other side of the city. From the west, Pontius Pilate was coming into Jerusalem. And he was coming in Jerusalem because it was a high festival season and there were tensions in the air. There was murmurs of a revolt against Rome and so he was coming to keep the peace. And as Pontius Pilate moved into the city from the west, no doubt he came with military might and soldiers and banners waving. So utterly different than the way that Christ came into the city. So how puzzling it was for those who were wanting something new, something different to happen to see this play out the way that it is. You see, this is really always the problem, though. This is the challenge that we all have. 
That is our expectations for how God should behave, what God should do, how God should show up, are not always in line with actually what God wants or wills. And the subtext to all of this is one of control, one of power, one of ruling over or being an authority over someone you disagree with. They wanted to win in Christ instead of trusting him. But this is what we all suffer, and this is what God's people have always struggled with. It's sort of that trust with God, knowing that God is in control and God is going to do things and wanting to take for ourselves what is good and evil and decide our own destinies and futures and and be in control. I mean, you see this right after Adam and Eve take and eat for themselves when you hear the story about them building a tower of Babel. (laughs) They want to build a tower so high that it reaches up to God. They want people from all over the land to come and have to look up to them in awe of what they have done. They want people to see their power and authority and, and what they can accomplish by their own will and determination. And what does God do? Goodbye. Wipes it out. You see this pattern repeat in Scripture. God's people are in the empire of Egypt. And Egypt was promising them so many things. It worked for a while. Gave them security and protection. They were well fed during the famine. It provided a lot of their needs, but then what was comfortable to them and what worked for them began to take a turn as they were enslaved and became sort of the underpinning of the economic engine of Egypt, free labor to support the Egyptian people. It was in this oppression that they cried out to God, and God came and delivered them. But even as they were being delivered, it's like they look over their shoulder back at Egypt, and they're thinking, gosh, it was sure nice, even if we were slaves, that we had some comfort in what the Egyptians were and what they did. But as they head to the promised land, there's the sense that maybe eventually they're going to get their own place, a place where God dwells and his people dwell faithfully. And as they come up to the holy land, what does God say? He says, beware of the people that are already there, the Canaanites. And he gives them some ground rules. He says, whatever you do, don't don't worship the gods of the Canaanites and don't marry their women. And so what do they do? (laughs) They worship their gods and marry their women, start families. They're in this land that God promised them, and they begin looking around, and they see that the Canaanites have other gods, and there's a part of them that wonders, well, maybe we would have more of what we want out of life if we also worship their gods. Maybe we'd be more successful. Maybe we'd have more power. They begin looking at the Canaanite women, and they're like, they don't look bad. Maybe we should marry them. Maybe I'll have a happier, more fulfilled life. And what God intended to be like this set-apart community ends up getting mixed with all these idol-worshipping people and, and different belief systems, and they begin to sort of stray away from what God has called them to do. And as we move along, you see the effects of this throughout the history of God's people. 
And they begin to fight and argue among themselves. And as kings rise, suddenly the kingdom of God splits into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Both thinking they're better than the other, both wanting more power and control and authority. The king in the northern kingdom hears and knows about the Assyrian empire, which is starting to rise in power nearby. And he begins to think to himself, maybe I can protect my power, my place, if I align myself with Egypt against them. This is such a terrible idea. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says in the Old Testament, he, he stripped himself naked and went around barefoot and naked saying, don't do this or you're going to get defeated. And I don't know, if a naked man can't get your attention, I don't know what will. Prophets are weird. But the king went along with it anyway. And guess what happens? The Assyrians, because they try to align with Egypt, wipe them out, deport them. Their kingdom falls. All because he wanted to protect for himself and his people their kingdom. The southern kingdom is humming along and They also begin to hear about a new uh, empire that's defeated the Assyrians and that's moving in. It's the Babylonians. Similar thing. They're paying their taxes. They're a vassal state. And they begin to think to themselves, hmm, I wonder if we could have more of what we want in life if we just take control and maybe align ourselves with people against the Babylonians. We can do this. Despite prophets saying, don't do it, trust in God, be faithful, No. And what does Babylon do? He wipes them out, deports them, takes away their livelihood. You see this pattern repeating over and over and over again, and at its base, foundationally, what it comes down to is wanting control, wanting power, wanting authority, wanting dominion, wanting to feel secure, wanting to win. When we get into the New Testament and we see a similar dynamic, the empire's Rome and the zealots and different people are really, really not wanting Rome to be there. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is the answer to this. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the Jewish people are still trying to get out from the thumb of Rome, and they actually lead a rebellion against Rome. And guess what happens to them? They lose. The temple gets destroyed. There's a place in Israel, just like we have here in Texas, you know how we say, remember the Alamo? They have a place called Remember Masada. And guess what happened to the people at Masada? Same thing that happened to the people in Alamo. All of them are killed. And so now there's this, not only is there a sense of like power and authority and military might that's kind of churning in the system, but there's even cultural challenges coming up. Uh, a big thing that's sweeping through around the time of Jesus is something known as Hellenism. And that is that God's people were wanting to be more accepted. They wanted to be liked. They wanted to have more influence. And in order to do this, they had to be culturally more like everyone else. So they began adopting Hellenistic 
Greek practices and begin changing some of their traditions and way of life, and they begin to to move further and further away from what God was wanting. And, and it was really all all of this was from a place of wanting to be in control, to be accepted, to have influence, to have power. So how disappointing is Jesus this morning as he rides in on a donkey? A donkey is a a symbol of humility, not of military might or victory. And, you know, we still have the, the same sort of challenges now in the church that God's people had back then. There's a part of us that wants to win. We want to have dominion and power and authority over whatever, our neighbor, culture, government. And what Jesus is doing here is he's sort of flipping the script. He's changing the dynamic. He's pointing out to us that you don't have to fight if you've already won. There's no losing if you already win. Why do you fight for something that's already yours? Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew what was his. We just read about Jesus going to the cross after having all authority, power, and dominion. What you begin to see is that faithfulness takes humility. And not just any kind of humility, not just the kind of humility that we tend to talk about, like, oh, I'm a humble person, I don't brag. I'm talking like supernatural humility, humility that acknowledges that God is God, God is in control, and you're not, and you don't have to be, and you shouldn't be. He talks about this a lot. In Luke 14, he's uh, talking to a host of a banquet, and he says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, and the crippled, and the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now this sets up the dynamic, right? In order to have an influence and power and authority, you need to invite people that can help you to the banquet. It's the, if I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. It's all about positioning. And Jesus is saying, stop with these shenanigans. <laughs> when I hear this verse, I, I just have these flashbacks to my wife and I, we were, she was my fiance, we were planning our wedding reception and a friend of mine from the seminary said, don't invite your family and your friends, invite all the homeless and poor people in Fort Worth to your wedding reception. <laughs> and so did we uh, invite the poor and homeless to our wedding? <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's a challenge, right? It's a challenge of perception. What are you doing? The Easter invitation is an invitation to humility. 
I mean, just think about this. Um, Christ was seated at the right hand of God the Father. He had all power, authority, dominion. He was in control of everything. And what does God do? He makes himself less than you. He comes into the world and he suffers. Experiences pain, struggles. He doesn't overthrow the government. He doesn't take up swords against those who would come after him. He says he willingly gives his life. He just goes. Christ made himself less than us as an example for us. That is, I mean, in this world, like, there is going to be suffering, there's going to be confusion, there's going to be pain. Like, we, we look at the cross, this is what we're doing this week in Holy Week. We're going to go to the cross and understand the experience of pain and suffering in this world. It's real, whether you have faith or not. It's there. But what Christ is giving us as an example is a deeper truth. And that is even in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the loss, you don't have to fight for anything that's already been won for you. Christ went to the cross because he knew what was his anyway. There was no war to be won. There was no battle to be had. He was already victorious. We are already victorious in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We, we are given everything that is promised to him. Everything gifted to him is gifted to us. We can't lose. So we're called to be like Christ. To be willing to give it up. To trust. To let God be God. Just be faithful ourselves. We don't have to force anyone to believe what we believe. We don't have to win the culture war. Because God's already won. We just have to be faithful. Like Christ was faithful. He was willing to die for those who disagreed with him. He was willing to die for those who wouldn't understand what he was doing until after the fact. What Christ came to do was an example of humility, and he did it out of love. He did it out of love for you, and he did it out of love for all of creation. So that even in the midst of the pain, suffering, of our cross, whatever it is that we bear. There's the righteous hope of resurrection. And that's where we find freedom. Because we no longer have to be in charge. We no longer have to fight for something that is already ours. We can let God be God.
And as we lean into him, he lifts us out of our pain and suffering and ultimately will restore us in the truth of the resurrection. So this is what this week's about. We acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge the shenanigans in our life and in the world. We go to the cross. But we know we've already won. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.